Truth News Network. A liberal school board is voted out. Conservatives are voted in. The State Department of Education doesn't like it and disbands the school board and puts the old agenda back into place. And where is this happening? Cuba, Russia, China, North Korea? No, New Mexico. Have you heard the story yet? Because the press is oddly silent. But we're not. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And the speaker of this house is Dan Newman. I'm not vying for a gig against Nancy Pelosi. I can guarantee you that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thursday at TNN Live. Thankfully, we made another day. You know what the best thing is right now? God has promised us today. He's promised everything we need, really need, not necessarily everything we want, but everything we need, we've got. He's on the hook for that. That's a cool thing. I'd, I'd, I'd rather, much rather, God be on the hook to me than for me to be on the hook to God. You know what I'm talking about. He did promise he would meet all of our needs, not according to our needs, but according to his riches. I think he's got a little more money than me. I think he's a little richer than me. And so I kind of like it like that. You know what I mean? Hey, how's your week going? You making it every day? Did you put your head down on the pillow last night and rest peacefully? I hope you did. I hope you got a good night's sleep. And I hope you're up and at them today and you're expecting bigger and better and greater things in your life today. I'm going to believe that for you. I think we all deserve a brighter looking day every once in a while. I mean, after all, we're in the middle of this. And this, folks... Far too often, this isn't really good. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know exactly what I mean. I know you do. Well, listen, we have a lot of important things to get into in today's show. We are waiting for one phone call. I think we're going to have a special guest tomorrow morning. Um, Final confirmation, we actually confirmed this person to be on our show tomorrow with us live. And... um, Person lives on the East Coast, and their scheduler kind of got a mix-up between 9 o'clock Eastern and 9 o'clock Central. So I'm not going to give you a name now. I'm going to tell you this, though. You better tune in tomorrow morning because this person will be here sometime. I don't know if it'll be at 9. I don't know if it'll be at 10. um, But this person will be with us tomorrow morning and has some amazing information about some really important things to you and to me that you don't want to miss. We'll call this a mystery guest. How about that? We won't tease it. If we had gotten that time thing situated overnight, I would tell you who's going to be here. But let me just tease you a little bit. You don't want to miss it. So while you were sleeping, guess what happened in Washington? More insanity. Well, at least if you or a Senate Democrat, you get all excited because it looks like the Republicans have caved. They indicated yesterday, the Dems did, that they were going to accept Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's offer for a short-term suspension of the debt ceiling. You know how much money the federal government can legally borrow to pay bills? Some claim that the Kentucky Republican had caved. Hmm. Democrats spoke out after a closed-door meeting 
in that meeting, they discussed Mitch McConnell's offer to raise the debt ceiling by a fixed dollar amount through December. Normally, they do it through a specific date. This time, the plan is just give them so much money they can spend, and then if they spend it all and we haven't reached a broad agreement on raising the debt limit permanently, we'll just face another debacle. Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, she said, McConnell caved, and now we're going to spend our time doing child care, health care, and fighting climate change. Mitch folded, and we have until December to do Build Back Better, and we will. That's Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat of Rhode Island. Senator Tammy Baldwin, Democrat from Wisconsin, told CNN, Democrats view McConnell's offer as a temporary victory in the dispute. McConnell said Republicans would allow Democrat leaders to use normal procedures to pass the emergency debt limit extension. Now, there's a big deal about passing something and one of the leaders of the two parties in the Senate demanding that they use normal procedures. That's called regular order. In other words, you got to have some substance to pass out among everybody who's going to vote and give them a little time to digest what's really in a pending piece of legislation before you vote on it. I think maybe the Democrats missed that, but that's what McConnell said they would have to do, use normal procedures. He said his offer would moot Democrats' excuses about the time crunch they created and would give the unified Democrat government more than enough time to pass standalone debt limit legislation through reconciliation. Chuck Schumer, well, he hadn't hadn't yet come to the microphone to formally announce whether the offer is going to be accepted. Despite McConnell's insistence, Democrats say they're not going to use the extended window to pass a longer suspension of the debt limit. They're not going to do it as the Republicans want. Of course, they don't want to sit down at the table of negotiation. Democrats still to this day, folks, there is no $3.5 trillion bill written with everything in it, all the facts, all the money, everything in it that they could hand to their padres across the aisle and say, here, you guys break this apart. This is what we're proposing in detail. They haven't done it yet. It's still in pieces. Do you think that's an accident? (laughs) That's politics, folks. Go out and grab your media mouthpieces and feed them a bunch of one-liners about what you want to do. And leave out all the controversial stuff that you know it's full of. We know it's packed with crazy spending bills that we can't afford, by the way. And they just want the media to sell the top line to the public. You guys get out there on the front. You're our messengers. Go tell them what we say. Don't tell them what we're doing. Just go tell them what we say that you're supposed to tell them. And, of course, there are media lap dogs. They're out there yap, 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 and just like all lap dogs do. Now, here's a scary thought. Do you realize that they may actually pass a $3.5 trillion bill, put it into law? Because if if they get 3.5 or anything close to 3.5 
approved in the House and the Senate, you can bet your bippy Joe Biden's going to jog from the White House to the Capitol to sign a bill into law. Why? It's full of money. It's full of power. It gives Democrats everything they need to just flip the switch on our representative republic structure and government and turn it into a autocracy where one little small group of people, some say people in the White House, others say in the Obama office just down the street from the White House, where the Obamas and uh, their small group of sycophants are sitting there putting stuff together to ship over to Joe. That's not me talking. That's a bunch of people, other people. A lot of people in the know are certain that's what's happening. That's why this government looks as bad as it does. You remember Barack Obama? He told us after he won election, re-election, held that cell phone up and said, as long as I have a pen and a phone, we can make it happen. We can do it by ourselves, we being the party in power. That's not representative republic government. That's autocracy. That's the very thing that Joe Biden, to this day, still keeps blaming Trump, calling Trump, waving his finger at him and said, I'm not like the previous guy. I'm not an autocrat. I am a president. We have a democratic process here, which we don't. We have a representative republic here. In democracies, folks, every citizen, every voter, every registered voter, votes personally on every issue. There's not a Congress up there split up into different districts and states that represents a group of the citizens. Citizens represent themselves. Can you imagine if we had that structure here? We'd be having elections every other day, and we'd never get anything done. Our Congress would never let that happen, of course, because we wouldn't need them. Novel idea. I think I could put up with voting every other day or so if we didn't have to put up with 535 tyrants. I don't know if all 535 are tyrants. I think they either are or they're wannabes. (laughs) I'm a little jaded today, folks. I apologize for that. No, I take the apology back. I'm not. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not sorry for it. I mean, what we're seeing and what we're experiencing is justification for being a little hacked off, hacked off about our government. You know what? If you feel the same way I do about that, you're not alone. And besides me, there's a whole bunch of Americans that agree with us. His standing, Biden's standing among Americans, keeps sinking. I mean, sinking, folks, not just ticking down. A new poll came out yesterday, Quinnipiac. The president's approval rating stands at just 38%. Disapproval up over the halfway mark. 53% of Americans disapprove of the job that Biden's doing. Now, those numbers are down from a 42%, 50% approval, disapproval rating for Biden in that same company's poll from last month, Quinnipiac. The president received negative scores in the double digits on all but one key issue asked in the poll. A majority of those surveyed said the Biden administration isn't competent in running the federal government. Battered on trust, 
doubted on leadership, challenged on overall competency. President Biden is being hammered on all sides as his approval rating continues its downward slide to a number not seen since the tough scrutiny of the Trump administration. OMG, they're comparing the Biden administration to that of Donald Trump. What a slam in the face to Donald Trump. (laughs) Biden's approval rating hovered in the low to mid-50s during his first six months. But the president's numbers began sagging in August. Why? Because everybody began to see that all of the craziness, the bad happenings, the slide in our economy, I mean, precipitously, immediately after inauguration, everything started downhill. And then eyes began to open. And even even people in his own party now are shaking their heads saying, you know what? We got problems. We got problems. What are Joe's problems? Let's just you and I, just for a second, let's kind of number them. Let's go back up to the top. What about the way he's handling COVID-19? A lot of people think he's doing an okay job. Well, when you look at the numbers, folks, he's not. He's not doing a good job at all. Now, what do you base that on, Dan? I base it on facts. I base it on numbers. COVID-19, remember the scourge of, gosh, I don't know, the scourge of maybe the last 30, 40, 50 years, he promised he was going to, his word, kill COVID if he was elected. I mean, as soon as I become president, we're going to put a bullseye on COVID's back and we're going to take, I'm going to take him out immediately. COVID-19 monster is going to be gone. Well, yesterday he got into, it's hard to tell now when he's speaking in front of Uh, anything. It's really becoming more and more difficult to tell where he is. Is he in the White House? Is he in the Oval Office? Is he in some of the other part of the White House where presidents make public appearances? Do you realize this came out in full detail yesterday? They've created at least two complete movie sets for him to make public appearances on. Complete sets to make it look like It's something and somewhere where he's not. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? In fact, yesterday, I don't know if you you watch a lot of these public hearings or even these meetings that he has, but yesterday there was one that showed him meeting with a group of people that were sitting around at desk in a really small area. And, And when I saw it, the first thing that popped in my head, where's that in the White House? I've never seen that. It was too small a place. There's nothing, no place for people to get together anywhere in the White House that small. And then late yesterday, a bunch of pictures were released that showed somebody standing out at the back of whatever room this is with a camera pointing it up, and it's actually a set, a stage set. And it showed right in front of the stage set, there were about 10 or 12 chairs and some media people were sitting in it. But of course, when they do these things, when they televise these things live or or delayed, we don't see the whole crowd. The camera angle just shows from the front where the president is and it makes it look like it's live and that it's somewhere 
on the White House, in the White House, somewhere. Sometimes we don't know where. There are a lot of rooms where they can accommodate news conferences. Why would he do that? They say there are at least three of those that he's had built. You know, when he was running for president, we never saw him or hardly ever saw him. And when we did, it was often from his basement in his home in Delaware. And somebody told me once, you know what would work best for the American people if after, just after he got election, elected, Jill took him out of town for two or three days and had somebody build a Oval Office stage in their basement. That way she could get Joe up out of bed every morning and take him down to the Oval Office and she could bring people in to meet with Joe and he would think he was in the White House. That may be exactly what's happening now and we don't even know it. Bottom line is, folks, COVID-19 is a big problem for Joe. What happened in Afghanistan? Probably the biggest foreign policy tragedy in American history and it's still pending. More about that in just a few moments. We have the economy. Regardless of what those folks in the Biden administration, the financial gurus like Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen, despite what they say, folks, inflation is roaring. We right now are facing already the worst inflation in 17 years. And we're headed back towards Jimmy Carter inflation where everything, everything overnight became unaffordable to Americans. Actually, what that really is, is massive tax increases. Why is that? How can you interpret that to be tax increases, inflation? When the prices of everything raise, folks, you and I, middle-class Americans, we're forced to pay more and more and more for the things that we really need in our lives, things like food, fuel, Heating, cooling, all of those things go up, and that means it's just like a tax increase. When you go to checkout, when you go to the pump and stick your debit card in to get a 10 or 15 gallons of gasoline, everything you do without exception, people on the other end got to raise prices because they're paying substantially more for the goods and services they're providing to us. Their costs go up, so our costs go up. That's, that's the epitome of inflation. He's got that going on. And then the, the, the people that are running the Biden administration are weaponizing everything against the American people from top to bottom. Did you hear what the Department of Justice is doing? I mean, this is one of the most incredible, far-reaching policies of any administration I can ever remember. Joe Biden reached out to his attorney general, Merrick Garland, about these parents that keep going to these school board meetings around the nation and standing up and sometimes getting loud and getting arrogant. They're very angry because they don't like the fact that public school boards with public teachers and public schools, they're cramming some of the most egregious curricula down the throats of these parents' kids that they didn't know anything about critical race theory, which is actually, literally, a way to teach people that the only way to fix and eradicate racism 
is to get racist the other way, 180 degrees the other way, and use that to attack racism and people that they want to point out and say, that policy is racist, so these people think that way, so they're racist. And go get them. They're teaching that to our schools. They're teaching horrendous sex things about sex to our six-year-old kids in public schools. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Well, folks, what's the justification for these parents going to these meetings? What's the justification for getting into it with these school board members that are elected and they're all paid with public tax dollars? These parents, public tax dollars. That's exercising the First Amendment, freedom of speech. We all have a constitutional right to assemble peaceably and to speak our minds. That may be out the door in these public school board meetings. Why? Merrick Gardland was authorized, instructed by Joe Biden, to get the Department of Justice to start investigating with the FBI these so-called domestic terrorists. That's what they're terming these parents that get really loud and boisterous at these school board meetings, exercising their First Amendment right. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think maybe that's a shot across the bow? The marching mantra of everybody on the left to everybody who's not on the left, which is, look, we're in charge. We know what's best for everybody, including you. Stop giving us suggestions. Stop telling us what you want us to do and what you don't want us to do. You just sit down and shut up, and if you don't, I'm going to sick the FBI on you. That's exactly what's going on. So that's going on with Joe. And he wonders why his approval ratings have tanked all the way down below 40 to 38% now. It's because Americans know he has no authority, no constitutional authority. Merrick Garland has no authority, no constitutional authority to take these things that they're being instructed to do at DOJ from the presidential administration. But yet what their intent is, is to quiet any dissent. Sound familiar? Sound like in the Cold War, people sitting and hiding in East Germany, afraid to let anybody know where they are. Kind of like secret radio, shortwave radio stations, putting out free information and the Soviet soldiers going through house by house trying to find them. Silence dissent. We're on the verge of that right now under this president. I'm not going crazy, folks. When he first took his oath of office and he began to practice his presidency, I told you, we were on, uh, I used to say, we're, he- you know, we're headed toward a slippery slope. Well, folks, we're not headed toward that slippery slope. We're about halfway down it, headed into the abyss of totalitarianism under this president. I may be a few days too soon of telling you that, but it won't take very long for us to get there. If I miss it, 
I didn't miss it much. As long as this insanity continues. So we got COVID. We have the economy. We have the horrors in Afghanistan. And it's bad still. We're not there. Let me, let me, let me just, this is kind of funny, but it's nauseating. Funny and nauseating at the same time. I could not believe this when I saw this story. Let me find it. You're not going to believe it. Oh, shoot. Where to go? Where to go? Where to go? I can't find the story, but let me let me just tell you this. You know, the, Joe Biden left estimated $82 billion worth of military hardware in Kabul when we pulled out. That included everything. Uh, I'm talking about tanks. I'm talking about multi-million dollar aircraft. I'm talking about amazing numbers and amounts of weapons and explosives, all kinds of things, very sophisticated electronic gear. We just walked off and left it at Bagram Air Force Base. Now, the weaponry, besides the big ones, you know, the rocket launchers, the tanks, all those types of um, mobile vehicles, and even missiles, besides that, there were thousands of, of actual guns, thousands. I'm talking about uh, the fully automatic, the fully automatic AR-15, the military version, the, what is it, M4, the M4. It looks just like an AR-15, but it's not. An AR-15 is not fully automatic. What's the difference between that and an M4 and a fully automatic gun if you've got a 30-shell magazine? You pop it into the gun. When you're ready to shoot, you you squeeze the trigger, hold the trigger, and it will shoot 30 of them instantly, one after another, machine gun style. An AR-15, it doesn't matter how big your magazine is, you pull the trigger, you can only shoot one bullet at a time. That's something that uh, most people on the left, the anti-Second Amendment folks, they don't want us to know the difference. They think that every long gun is either a shotgun or or an assault weapon. They're not. Nevertheless, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of these fully automatic weapons abandoned to the Taliban by Joe Biden. Based upon the dollar amount, that 82 million, if it's just that, 82 billion, if it's just that, that, when you put that in the pecking order of top to bottom on earth, folks, that would mean the Taliban is armed and is armed at the level to be considered the number three military on earth. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's incredible. But let me tell you what else is even more incredible. Today, if you could get to Kabul and if you went to the store, went to a sporting goods store, guess what you can buy today? Everything I just mentioned, with the exception of the rocket launchers and the helicopters and the tanks, everything else, you can buy it on the street, in the store, in Kabul. (laughs) Don't you know there are some Taliban economists that got together and said, hey, look, you know, we don't need all this stuff. I mean, we're only going to take over our people, 
our land, our country. We don't need $82 billion to do that. So maybe we can get $0.10 cents on a dollar. Maybe we can get in cash 8 to $10 billion. Do you know what we can do with $10 billion in the Middle East? OMG. That is insane, folks. That is the definition of insanity. What brain surgeon in this administration, what brain surgeon in the Pentagon, what brain surgeon at the CIA or the State Department said, hey, hey, Mr. President, let's just leave them all that crap. We don't need it. We got plenty more. And convinced him that was the right thing to do if he had any say-so whatsoever in the decisions. So here we are, folks. Old Joe, Uncle Joe, President Joe Biden, doesn't know if he's in the White House. Wherever they have him, he at least thinks he's in the White House today. But this same insanity goes on and on and on. How insane? Yesterday, U.S. officials confirmed, you remember that suicide bomber who killed 13 American service members plus at least 169 Afghans. You remember that, just outside the gate at the Kabul airport. August 26, mass murderer. He was released from prison by the Taliban 11 days before. On August the 15th, when we walked away from Bagram Air Force Base, we didn't just leave all that military equipment there. There's a prison on that Air Force base, and we had 5,000 Taliban terrorists in that prison. He was one of them. What a great job, President Biden. On your watch, not only did we let him out of prison, we left all those other people out of that prison that were obviously there for specific reasons, and he killed 13 Americans on your watch, needlessly. And it's because of what you did. And that's not all there is there, folks. Today, today, right now, today, 36 days after we pulled out, today, 36 days later, on Joe Biden's watch, 38 California children are still abandoned and stuck by Joe Biden in Afghanistan. 38 California children are stuck over there and see no way to get out. Biden's State Department hadn't gotten them out. The Pentagon obviously didn't get them out. Even these private folks that are being stopped every kind of roadblock that you can think of they're putting from the Biden administration to keep these private people from using chartered jets that they're paying for, helping those stranded Americans that are still there. We know there's at least a hundred, a hundred fellow citizens stuck in Afghanistan because of the decision that was made by Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and all those leaders in the Defense Department, and the U.S. military. 38 California school students aren't in school today because of President Biden, and they may, they may end up being killed 
because of what President Biden, not because of what he did, but what he didn't do. He didn't fulfill his promise. We're just getting started here today, folks. This is going to be a contentious day. It's going to be contentious because we're going to put more and more facts out there. And where, when we give you these facts, these facts will stand alone and they're going to challenge you to make some hard, cold decisions. Not trying to scare you. We're just going to throw out facts and then let you decide. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita. What them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here are the smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. I gotta tell you, I've been in broadcasting for a lot of time, long time, long time, in and out. That Amazon Echo commercial is one of the funniest commercials I've ever heard. I don't know about that. <laughs> You got to laugh sometimes, folks, to keep from crying. There's a lot of humor in the world. We're not seeing a bunch of it or very much of it in politics today. But if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. Find a little joy, some little spot, a little speck out of it at least will keep you out of the doldrums. And I mean, I need to stay out of the doldrums. I'm sure you do too. So what else is happening? Well, 
You want to talk about a little bit of COVID stuff? I'm going to blow your mind. We keep seeing this administration, every member of the mainstream media, everybody, and everybody I talk to, everybody you talk to, everywhere you go, they're looking at you, especially if you don't have a mask on. I mean, it doesn't matter about the circumstances. You may be totally COVID-free, and you've got antibodies out the wazoo. You're not going to get it. You're not going to transmit it. So why would you have to wear a mask? I mean, let's face it. They're telling. We're hearing now over and over and over again. We are having these fast, these mask mandate, uh, mandates put in. Because if we don't make you, you unvaxxed people, wear a mask, you're going to kill us. That is, that's an oxymoron. Well, it may be more than just an oxymoron. It may be a moron that put that together. Think about that. Think about what they just said. What have we heard for 18 months when we get the vaccinations? When you get the vax, you take the vax. You're in heaven. You're COVID-free forever and ever. And if you don't take the vaccination, you're going to die. Now, folks, nationwide here in the U.S., almost without exception, bad cases that end up in hospitals or among those who are already vaccinated. And of course, they had to come up with an excuse for that and label that happening. It's rare. Of course, it's so rare that the CDC used to report that, those breakthrough infection numbers, and they even made an announcement. Hey, we're just going to roll those into our overall statistics about those who are hospitalized for COVID. We're just, we're going to, we're not going to break them out. You know, we don't want you to realize, they didn't say this, but this was the only purpose they could have possibly had for doing it. They want to hide the fact that the vaccine's not working. And now they're saying, oh, it's working, but just for a while. And that's why you've got to get a second and even a third booster so that it keeps working. And every week we get numbers about the efficacy of the Moderna shots, the Pfizer shot, even the J&J shot. And now, the tested and confirmed results of efficacy of all three are approaching only 50%. Now, you want to put that in the context of reality? If you put everybody in the United States, all 337 million of us, put us all in one big bucket, Hillary's bucket, that's okay. Every age group, every ethnicity, every demographic, top to bottom. The odds are, if you just reached in that basket and pulled out any one, any name, and pulled it out, that person, in the context of all 337 million of us, has less than a 1.5% chance of dying with COVID-19. And yet everybody that got jabbed with the Pfizer, a Moderna, a J&J, you know what their chances are? Much more than that 1.5%. Why? Because they got the jab. That's scary, folks. That's not me. That's 
the science. Now, let's put this all in political context. This is what's going to blow your mind. When, uh, when anything big happens that involves a demographic analysis anywhere on the earth, I mean, if you look at the numbers, statisticians will tell you, pollsters will tell you, you can get some realistic ideas on which you can make s- some plans and determinations. Statistics, demographics, those are great things to have access to. So when you look at us here in the United States, we're number one in the world for everything. Everything. Let me tell you what we're number one at, more so than any other country, and in a much greater way being number one than in any other category, and it's not a good category. And deaths per million, we're number one. Wait a minute, Dan, what are you talking about? I'm talking about these so-called causes of death, official causes of death, COVID-19 in the United States. When looked at, how many people die in the United States per million people? And you compare that number to other nations around the world. If we're doing a good job over here, if our scientists are doing a good job, if our healthcare system is doing a good job, if political leaders are doing a good job, they have kept us in safe places by giving us good information, and therefore we are the greatest country on earth, the wealthiest country on earth. We have the best military on earth. Our education system, not so good. Our healthcare system, it's pretty good but it's still not in the top two or three. But nevertheless, we're still a very, very powerful nation. And we're ranked high in almost every category. Here's what's going to blow your mind. What about one of those um, not-so-good countries on Earth that has a bunch of people? Say, Indonesia. Indonesia. You know how many people are in Indonesia? 277 million as of this morning at 8 o'clock. That's right. That's from the UN's Worldometer number. I looked it up right before we went live on the air. 277 million Indonesians. We have 337. So, you know, we're bigger than they are, but not a whole lot. Similar kinds of um, geographical makeup over there. It's you know when you when you've got 277 million, you got a pretty big span of geography. So you've got mountains, you've got valleys, you've got deserts, you have rainforest, which we don't really have. We have some wet areas, but nevertheless, there's a lot of similarities. We're not so different. We're different, but it's not like we're talking about you know a uh, an African village. You want to compare COVID deaths per million in the United States to COVID deaths per million in Indonesia? Let's do that. This, of course, comes from the gurus, the medical gurus, WHO. They keep the statistics that are provided them by every nation. Indonesia, as of last month, the first of last month, 1st of September, deaths from COVID-19 in Indonesia, 514 per million. 514 out of every million Indonesians end up dying from COVID-19. That's horrible. So what about the United States? This is going to blow your mind. 
102,762 per million. Indonesia, 514 per million. The United States, 102,712. It's just the numbers, folks. Now, what does that tell me? It tells me something. When I hear that number, it confirms to me far fewer people died from COVID in the United States than are labeled as having died. We will never know the real number to that. There's only two explanations. We're either one of the worst medically on earth as a nation or for whatever reason, and it may be accidental. I don't think it's accidental. I think it's causative. I believe there's a plan. There's a purpose, and it's being misreported. We've had people by the dozens call in. Many have been on this show that have told us those deaths at COVID's hand, with COVID-19 being the official cause of death, are highly inflated. But folks, even if they are, I doubt they're going to be inflated on this dramatic a scale. So what's the difference, Dan? What's the difference between Indonesia and the United States when it comes to COVID-19, managing it, treating it, et cetera, et cetera? There's one that just blares loudly. Listen to this. Do you know what the number one treatment of COVID-19 in Indonesia has been since the very beginning? I mean, when it first, remember, they got it first over there. They're in Asia. Southeast Asia, but they're in Asia. And by the way, right across the water from them is Malaysia, where I've been several times. And they've had their handle on COVID-19 infections and deaths too, just like their neighbors, Indonesia. What's the big difference? The number one treatment for COVID-19 in both island nations, Malaysia and Indonesia, is ivermectin and has been from the beginning. Ivermectin, you know, that that drug that it's for dogs and horses. It treats parasites. We can't put that in people's arms over here in the U.S. Even taking it orally in a pill or a capsule, we can't do that. Yuck, it treats parasites. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that in 2015, the two developers of ivermectin won the Nobel Prize for Medicine for one of the greatest finds and treatment creations in world history, ivermectin. That doesn't float here in the United States. Dr. Anthony Fauci, oh my gosh. Fauci said, we can't use that. We can't use hydroxychloroquine. It's been around for 70 years. It's just nothing. We need a newfangled, very strategically designed, laboratory tested, and very expensive drug. We can't use hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. In India, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, the number one treatment from the beginning for COVID-19. And it works a little better than 
the Fauci instituted treatment plan here in the United States. I'm just, I'm just bringing you facts, folks. I'm not the one that created the statistics. Believe me or don't. That's up to you. And of course, we should all feel better today because yesterday, Joe said this, we're just about to turn the corner on coronavirus. We're turning the corner. He said that just minutes before it was announced by the CDC that our 2021 death tally has already, we still have October, November, and December, we've already surpassed the total number of reported deaths from 2020, and we still have three months to go. We're about to turn the corner, the president said. There's just, there's just, there's just too much out there that doesn't tie together with what we are being told. Another example, what state in the United States has the highest vaccination rate? Tell me. I'm going to do the little song thing. Da, 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 from Jeopardy. The number one percentage of population vaccinated state. Vermont. Bet you didn't know that. Well, guess what's happening now in Vermont? Vermont, from top to bottom, across the board, experiencing a COVID virus surge at levels not seen since the pandemic's peak last winter. Number of cases in Vermont, record level. Hospitalizations are close to records notched last winter. And the state recorded the deadliest day in the second deadliest month of the pandemic last month. Excuse me. Yeah, last month, September. Michael Pizak, the commissioner of the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation who monitors COVID virus statistics, said this. I think it's clearly frustrating for all of us. <laughs> you think? More than 69% of Vermont's population has been fully vaxxed against COVID. 69%. The state recorded the highest rate of hospitalizations per 100,000 residents on September 30th, breaking a record set on January 31st last year. Eight people died of the virus on one day, September 13th the highest grim total recorded since the outbreak of the virus. In late August, 40% of cases in Vermont were among vaccinated people. That's according to a letter signed by 90 employees of the Vermont Health Department, including state epidemiologist Patsy Kelso. You know why they put the letter out? Nobody would report it. Governor Phil Scott, who happens to be a Republican, lifted their state of emergency in June when 80% of the population had gotten at least their first shot of the vaccine. He has since indicated he is wary of reimposing that state of emergency. We can't be in a perpetual state of emergency, he said. The four states which followed Vermont in terms of the highest vax rates in the nation are also experiencing alarming signs as well. The head of UMass Memorial Hospital in Massachusetts, the largest health system there, said recently that regional hospitals are seeing nearly 20 times more COVID patients than in June, and there isn't a single ICU bed to spare. Massachusetts, by the way, has the fifth highest vaccination rate in the nation. In Connecticut, the second most vaccinated state, 
The legislature extended the governor's emergency powers to make it easier to cope with their latest wave of the pandemic. September 22nd, Maine, number three most vaccinated state, had nearly 90 people in intensive care units of pandemic peak for the state. Now, let me just throw out a question here. We're going to go to our second break. I'm going to tell you something that will blow your mind. I factually found out that Dr. Fauci has listened to this show before. And so, Dr. Fauci, if you're listening or if somebody that works with or for you is listening, answer the question that everybody that's listening to this show right now is asking. What the heck is going on? I invite you to come on the show anytime. It's a two-hour daily show. If you want me to stretch it an hour and make it three one day, it's all yours. 866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. Do I really think Dr. Fauci will come on this show? I, you know, I, 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 I have, we have a family member that uh, actually works in Dr. Fauci's operation. That would be the only way he would know about us. And it wouldn't be a positive thing that he would think. (laughs) But you know what? You're more important to me than is he. And I want you to have the facts for you to make choices in your life. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network. Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, he has Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. It's a puppy. Not a puppy. A wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. No way. Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They, they toasted, toasted six-month-old aged cheddar right onto the shell of a chalupa. That's genius. No delicious. No both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink. Whoa. Oh, sorry. This is, this is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks excludes freezes. Truth, justice, the TNN way. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. All day, all week, TNN Live, produced by truthnewsnet.org. Thank you for being here today. We, We couldn't do this without all of you. Spread it around if you haven't already. Tell some folks that they can grab us live. You know how to do it. You're doing it right now. And if they can't catch us live, uh, you can go to either Spotify podcast or Apple podcast anytime 
and just put in the search bar TNN Live. And every show we've done pops up in an index. If you miss one today, actually about 10 minutes after each show is over, those podcasts are published. I guess you call that what they do when they put them out publicly. You call that published. But anyway, they're on their websites and you can grab any show if there's one we have a guest on that you want to go back and remember. And in addition, if they ever take them down, which I'm not sure how many shows that they'll put up, a two-hour show, I mean, that's 10 hours of their uh, space uh, every week. If we ever, if they ever get to a point where they just cut us off and let us only go so many days back, you can always go to our website, truthnewsnet.org, and at the bottom of every article that's published every day, there's a link after the show is over that you can click on and either listen to or download any show. And of course, if you want to look at a or grab and listen to a specific show, but you can't remember when it aired, you can send me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org. We'll go and tell us what it was that you wanted. The show included whatever it is. We'll find it for you and send you the link. It's not tough. But we don't want you to miss anything. It's not that we know everything or know so much. It's just there are so many facts out there that are hard to get your arms around and sometimes find out about. I'll guarantee you, you didn't know that Indonesian number in comparison to the U.S. Folks, that's crazy. That's crazy. I don't care which explanation or answer for that that explains that is true. It can only be those two. Either they're here grossly inflating deaths by COVID-19. If they ever admitted that, what would that say? It would mean that they've been purposefully scaring the American people into compliance to be vaccinated. And they don't want us to know that or think that even if it's true. And I have no idea if it is. I'm not saying it is. I do know that this thing is turning out more and more and more to be money-driven. Money-driven. Now, what do you mean with that? You know who's making all of this money? I'm not talking about millions of dollars. I'm talking about tens of billions of dollars. Hospitals across the board. There's an amazing boost in what the government will pay them for treating hospitalized COVID-19 patients. We gave you the story, the information the other day from the actual regulation that was published by the federal government. If you are diagnosed, when you go to the hospital, they check you in, inpatient only. You can't do this outpatient. It has to be checked into the hospital. If your official diagnosis is COVID-19 and that hospital takes you in and treats you, they get a 65% bump over what they would normally be paid. 65%. But it requires them to treat you as COVID-19 and COVID-19 only. That means you have to be treated with specific things like the medications they give you when you're in the hospital. Now we get into the shady area. Remdesivir is number one. I'm not a doctor. I've been in the medical field for 30 years, but I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to know But let me tell you something that is factual. It's been proven over and over and over again. Remdesivir has one major massive side effect. 
And when I say massive, in huge numbers, people that are taking remdesivir, which until just, what, I think the first of this month, remdesivir could only be administered in the hospital to an inpatient, in a somebody in a room. That adverse effect that comes from remdesivir usage that we're talking about is chronic kidney failure. I'm just saying, folks, they get a 65% pop in treatment over just a normal patient when a COVID patient checks into the hospital. ICU, the numbers even go up. A trio of scientists at Pfizer got caught in a recording speaking to undercover reporters about the existence of natural immunity to the virus. One of those employees said they'd been told not to discuss the natural immunity protection publicly. Natural immunity refers to the protection that people enjoy against COVID-19 after they recover from COVID-19. Or, as a matter of fact, you can have natural immunities that prevent you from ever getting COVID-19. When somebody is naturally immune, like they got COVID, they probably have better, like, not better, but more antibodies against the virus. That was said by Nick Carl, one of the scientists caught on that conversation. So your antibodies are probably better at that point than the vaccination, he later said. Chris Croach, another scientist at Pfizer, told an undercover reporter that people are probably more protected by natural immunity when compared with vaxxed people. You're protected most likely for longer since there was a natural response. A third scientist works for Pfizer, Raul Kondicki, said that employees have had to sit through many seminars where they're told that getting the company's vaccine is safer than getting COVID-19 and that they cannot discuss the differences in public. Logically, though, if you have antibodies built up, you should be able to prove that you have those built up. I don't know. Potentially, that doesn't seem that crazy, he said. Now, guess what people they were talking to? (laughs) Reporters from Project Veritas. And, of course, Pfizer won't go on the record in response. The company produces the most used COVID-19 vaccine in the United States. More than 230 million doses have been administered. The federal government buys COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson and provides them for free to Americans who get them. The companies have locked in more than, listen, I told you it's, they're getting filthy rich. $60 billion. Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer, 60 billion U.S. dollars. And they're the ones that are out there along with their lapdog, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And you know what they're touting? Hey, 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 got to get those booster shots, that 60 billion number that we've already paid them, American taxpayers. That doesn't include a single booster shot. So in other words, if we're going to have one booster shot, just double the 60 billion number. More and more studies have been published that show the potency of natural immunity. 
particularly in certain demographic groups. Some experts say evidence shows that natural immunity is similar to or even better than the vaccine. But the feds and some other experts say practically everybody should get a shot, regardless of if they ever had COVID or not. They argue that the vaccines boost protection bestowed by recovery. Now, in normal science, that makes sense. But when you put it in the context of we don't know what the heck is in this COVID-19 vaccines, who knows if that's going to be impacting at all our natural immunity. Executives at manufacturers like Pfizer, they will not discuss natural immunity. Of course, it's their enemy, right? Croach works for Pfizer as a vaccine research and development scientist. I'm a Pfizer proud, hashtag Pfizer proud, he tweeted, to be part of a company that understands that helping patients is about more than medicine. It's improving health literacy so that people don't need a medical degree or a thesaurus to make the right health care choices. A New York-based biochemist with Pfizer said that, according to his LinkedIn profile, which was taken offline after those Project Veritas videos were made public. He was listed as starting at the company in August of this year. He declined to comment on the remarks he made in private to James O'Keefe, who's the head of Project Veritas. Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, a doctor, said the undercover videos amounted to a truth bomb. A truth bomb. That's just one more, one more little tick. And about the money, by the way, two of the founders of Moderna and one of the top investors in the pharmaceutical and biotechnology company have made it to the top. Two founders of Moderna, one of their top investors, have made it to the top of the world in finance. They've made it to Forbes' list of the wealthiest people in the U.S., but not until developing COVID-19 vaccines and selling them to the U.S. government. While the rest of the world struggled with a crumbling economy, job losses, financial hardship, the 400 wealthiest Americans saw their collective fortune increase more than 40% over the last year to $4.5 trillion. Among them were three prominent members of Moderna, Since then, 152 million doses of Moderna, their vaccine have been administered. 152 million. And it sent them to the top of the financial world. That Those, those people, co-founder and chairman, Nobar Afayan, co-founder and board member, Robert Langer, investor, Timothy Springer, all made the Forbes 400 list for 2021. That requires a minimum net worth of a paltry billion. Follow the money. Follow the money. Oh, by the way, just one more, one more little point of that. Um, I just went blank. Oh, about Moderna. Moderna's been around for a good while. I mean, they are a pharmaceutical company. They have a massive investigation laboratory process. They do great clinical trials, but Here's, here, it's not so much a problem. 
It's just a fact that's being ignored. The fact is COVID-19's vaccine that they make, it's the first medication they've made in their history for human beings. They've been veterinarian medication company. Why they made the switch and how they could justify it and what would change in development and stuff like that, I have no idea. But that kind of goes ding, 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 ding in my mind. It's kind of like, ah, you know, it's like when uh, for my company through the years, we contract with healthcare professionals, sometimes hospitals, and um, what we do in the medical business is we manage reimbursements. In other words, the problem that you as a patient have in getting your insurance company to do the right thing when you go get something done, on a major scale, that happens to hospitals and other types of medical professionals. So what we do is we go to war. We're the middle guys. We actually do their billing, and it doesn't matter. We've got hospitals. We have mom and pop um, private practices around. It just big or little, they all have the same problems. It's just a, a case of numbers. But anyway, I've sat in boardrooms in major hospitals in the nation, some of the biggest ones, and they're fighting insurance companies every day to get paid. We have a reputation of being extremely successful at doing that. Our motto is, is if you provided the service and you did it legally, we're going to get you paid. And sometimes it comes to war. We've been in courtrooms having battles on behalf of our healthcare clients to force insurance companies to pay their bills. But anyway, I've sat in board meetings and tried to explain to them. They ask, why are you so, why, why is your company so effective? And it's because we do the right thing. And when all you do every day, if you work, for instance, at a automobile assembly line and they have you on the line and maybe you're doing trucks and so you stand down in um, below the trucks on the line as they come over you and the, your job is to put the rear bumpers on that truck. There used to be a General Motors assembly plant here in Shreveport and it happened to be two guys would be down in the pit and they did 60 trucks an hour. That's one every minute. They were bolting those bumpers, rear bumpers on these trucks, hooking up the electrical, the lights, and all that kind of stuff. Well, that seems like no big deal, right? Well, here's the thing. If that's all you do all day long, you get pretty darn good at putting rear bumpers on Chevrolet pickup trucks. Healthcare invented specialization, but they're the last ones to ever realize that there's more to it than just treating a patient, sending an insurance company a bill, and getting a check. What am I talking about? There's a process, folks, and government is absolutely the worst at that, which means anytime they get something, initiate something, and this government and I'm not talking about an administration. I'm talking about the government bureaucracy from left coast to right coast, from the northern border to the southern border and everything in between. Government created this craziness that we're involved in in the middle of, which includes COVID-19, pandemic, massive illegal immigration, 
an economy holocaust in the making, and political partisanship and thuggery that's ripping our nation apart. It's all manufactured. Yes, some of it may have appeared naturally, but when and if it did, naturally, they have taken it quickly and found ways to weaponize weaponize it and put it out in the marketplace to divide us even more, to exacerbate and increase their ability to grab power over every aspect of our lives, taking control. So one of the big things in all of this is how illegal immigration, if you can call it immigration, it's not. Immigration is when you live overseas and you want to come to the United States and you go through a State Department devised legal immigration application process. That's immigration. This is invasion. Every person that steps across that southern border without having an invitation to be here from the government is is perpetrating a criminal act. Every single one of them. They're not criminals. If they stepped over here, they're criminals by the definition of criminality. So Republican governors all got together. Basically, we got to stop this thing. Legally, the federal government has unilateral authority to police and take matters and deal with what happens at the borders of the nation. But these GOP governors are saying enough's enough. So what they did was get together and they developed a 10-point plan to end our border crisis. And I've got the 10 points. I won't go into all the details, but I thought it would be interesting for you to hear that there are people, and it's not in the Biden administration, it's in the governors of Republican-controlled states that are saying, we got to come up with a framework. we got to come up with a plan and perfect the plan, implement the plan, and make it work. Number one, continue those Title 42 public health restrictions. You know what those are. They were put in effect in the Trump administration. The CDC issued them, not President Trump like many said. Title 42 says somebody that comes here can be immediately deported because we don't know anything about their health care status, COVID-19, and any other kind of thing. Number two, fully reinstate the migrant protection protocols. What is that? Remain in Mexico. You come across the border there and you claim you have a claim for asylum, you file your claim, you've got to go back across the Rio Grande River, and the Mexican government has agreed to keep you in a facility there until your name comes up to go back and have your case resolved in court. Number three, finish securing the border. Duh. Number four, end catch and release. The most idiotic most sycophantic uh, Democrat hard-left policy ever invented, ever implemented in our nation. If you come across the border illegally, we don't have a way to accommodate you and keep you confined until your asylum claim is going to be heard. So what we'll do is we'll log you into our system. We'll get you a court date. It's probably going to be three or four years before it can happen. So you got to come back and have your asylum hearing, and then you let them go. Just let them go. End it is what these governors want. Clear the judicial backlog. In other words, we've got all these court cases for asylum pending. Novel idea. Get some other judges. 
hire some more judges. Number six, resume the deportation of all criminals. Can you believe they're not even doing that anymore? We find out every few days about a, a bundle of these illegals that are being released only to be notified that these people in many cases have committed serious criminal fines. Some of them, this is their, we call them frequent flyers. They've been here multiple times. They commit crimes. They get caught. They're deported. And here they come right back. We got to get rid of the criminal element and keep them out of this country. Number seven, Dedicate federal resources to eradicate human trafficking and drug trafficking. Since Biden's been president, Customs and Border Patrols and the DEA have captured enough fentanyl, captured now. There's a bunch more that they didn't catch. There's been enough fentanyl found, caught at the southern border, enough of it, to kill every American, 337 million of us. We got to stop that. We need to re-enter all of our agreements with our Northern Triangle partners and in Mexico. Biden should re-enter the prior administration's agreements with El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, and of course Mexico. Remember, they agreed to enforce laws to keep them from those people from coming up here. If they want to file an asylum claim, do it in their native country. We have consulates in every one of these countries, places that our government is there. You can go in and file a claim for asylum. Number nine, send a clear message to potential migrants. Wow. What do we send a message to say? We want you to come if you need to come, but we demand that if you come, you come here Legally, file a claim. Go to a consulate. If your life's in jeopardy, go to the consulate. Tell them what's going on. We will help you. Do it legally. And number 10, deploy more federal law enforcement officers. Folks, the numbers should be based upon one thing and one thing only. Covering investigating, ferreting out, getting people that break the law and make them liable for what they did. The only way to do that is you can't say, I think we're going to have 200 Border Patrol agents. What if you need 201? Or what if you need 275 or 400? It shouldn't be based upon any number of other than that, any reason other than that, enough to cover all of the criminality and holding people accountable for doing it. So Americans are looking at D.C. and we're screaming loudly, fix this, fix this. These governors, they're besides themselves, especially the governors over these border states, California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. I mean, the entire, not just the look, but the structure of these states are changing as all of these immigrants are flooding in and far, far more or percentage-wise staying in these border states where they come in than are going elsewhere. They're scattered everywhere, but it shouldn't be happening anywhere. This member of Congress yesterday went to the floor 
and he said it better than anybody I've heard. President Biden, Vice President Harris, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle in the United States Senate and House of Representatives, secure the border, enforce the laws of the land, keep the American people safe and secure during a global pandemic and during a heightened risk of terrorism, do the right thing, show some leadership. The President of the United States campaigned as a steady hand, someone blessed with competence, uh, the most qualified person in the United States of America to be President of the United States. And yet we have this situation, this situation where we have open borders, where there's an international perception, accurate, that one can fly to our southern border and and, uh, walk right on in. There's also a growing perception that Democrats in Congress, as so many have advocated, just might slip an amnesty provision into a partisan reconciliation bill. Listen, it's time for leadership. I will be fighting, my colleagues will be fighting hammer and tong against this complete abdication of leadership moving forward. I visited the border in May, and and, uh, I was just struck by the human dimension to all of this. Um, Young children filing out of cars, escorted by coyotes, walking a couple of hundred meters uh, from Mexico into gaps in the border wall where they were humanely apprehended by our brave Border Patrol agents. And um, others, of course, are not discovered, and they just blend into our society. But ultimately, so many of these individuals end up trafficking drugs, trafficking persons, trafficking young children, and and that impacts the life of all Americans, certainly impacts the lives of Hoosiers. I have not seen the situation on the border this dire since I served along our southern border as a United States Marine in the mid-1990s. And I have to say, the situation has grown so alarming, so bad, that We even have a number of prominent Democrats who are starting to make their voices heard. Of course, the mayor of of Del Rio, Texas, recently spoke out, and he asked President Biden to lead, to get control of this situation, to do his job as our commander-in-chief, as our chief executive. So I say once again, I plead with the president, with our vice president, uh, with my Democratic colleagues uh, here in the Senate and the House of representatives to stop the insanity here's the insanity that he's speaking of it has to do with this one thing if we if we scream at our leaders and say look we want you to stop this illegal immigration and they come up with all of the reasons why look we've got to be more kind we've got to be more caring this is the united states of america that's not who we are We've got to let these people in because they need us. That's a justification, but folks, that's not what their oath of office that they all swore to. That's not what it says. There's nothing in those oaths that they take. There's nothing in the job description for U.S. government, federal government, White House, or Congress. There's nothing in there about You've got to be empathetic. You've got to be considerate. You've got to do this. It says, in Congress, what you're supposed to do is craft laws 
craft laws to first protect the United States of America and its people. That's number one. Number two, Congress has oversight obligations of all parts of the government. Now, that sounds scary sometimes to some people, and I'm one of those people that feels a little bit concerned about Congress having that responsibility. But to be honest with you, they don't exercise that responsibility. They do craft laws, but they're getting worse and worse at putting the stuff in the laws that need to be there to make sure that there are not a bunch of questions and problems that come out of the legislation's that's passed. Many members of the Supreme Court currently and previously said, you you legislators, you got to understand, you need to be completely inclusive in this legislation of what you mean. Because years later, it's going to come back. There's going to be a court case that comes to us. And we're going to have to try to figure out what you mean. Whatever you mean, put it in the stinking piece of legislature. That's what they're supposed to do. And not a single one of them, not a single president, nobody else in government has any authority to just stop enforcing laws. But yet, that's what they do. Wow, we're going to take another break. When we come back, Joe Manchin. Oh, ho, ho, Big Joe, West Virginia Democratic senator. He's been on the hot seat along with Kirsten Sinema, another Democratic senator from Arizona. Those two came out and they said, We're not going to go along with this reconciliation bill. We're not going to spend three and a half trillion. Well, guess what? Old Joe, he's kind of opened the door to some possibilities. We've got that. And then we've got this terrorism by parents at these school board meetings. And we're getting our resident brain surgeon in the government to supervise a conversation in a press briefing yesterday about this very thing. And, of course, that's Jen Psaki. (laughs) That's up next at TNN Live. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. 
Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Well, Joe Biden, blustering Joe, he's out there telling everybody, showing everybody how tough he is. Oh, my goodness. He wanted to take Donald Trump out behind the gym. Remember that? He said, when I was in high school, I'd take him out behind the gym. He didn't say what he would do to him, but he wanted to sound like a tough guy. Well, now Joe is threatening. He's threatening the Senate. And what's this about? He is floating a proposal to get rid of the filibuster rules in the Senate, specifically right now, to raise the debt limit. Oh, I think that's a real possibility, he replied when reporters asked him if he would consider even doing that. He commented shortly as he returned to the White House from Michigan, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans are opposing raising the debt limit. They're really not. What they want is some assurances in the form of written agreements to stop some of this other crazy crap that's coming out of D.C. And of course, in doing so, they're representing a few million Americans. Some Democrats just want a simpler solution, ending the filibuster so that they can do whatever they want to do in the Senate without having to get a single person from the other side to come over and agree with them. Whatever happened to this, I'm going to unify Americans. I want to be not the president for the Democrats' I want to be the president for every American. I'm going to bring everybody together. And almost everything without exception Joe Biden has done is exactly opposite of that. It's basically thumbing a nose and saying, I don't give a rip what you think. Here's what we're going to do. And of course, he learned that from the greatest of of those that have that all put together, Barack Obama. Remember the famous elections have consequences, which was basically saying, now we have control, we're going to ram everything we want down your throats. But here's something about Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is the guy that sits with his finger on the, the, the button. He has the ability to vote with his fellow Democrats to end the filibuster. A majority of his supporters are against ending it. That's something that far-left Democrats are keen that they need to do. They've been pressuring both Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema to support getting rid of the filibuster. According to the poll in West Virginia, that's where Joe Manchin's from, 56% of West Virginians would be less likely to support him for re-election if he does vote to eliminate or even weaken the filibuster. 56% of West Virginians also agree with Manchin that the filibuster is a critical tool to protecting democracy. 63% of those polled agree with Manchin that weakening the filibuster worsens political dysfunction and fuels hateful rhetoric and even violence. Joe Manchin's political future may hinge on his continued defense of the filibuster. If he doesn't continue to defend it, he's probably going to get kicked out of politics. 
Left-wing activists, dark money special interests, they're pressuring Manchin to renege on his pledge to protect the filibuster. But in West Virginia, the filibuster is more popular than is Joe Manchin. (laughs) That's what this poll says, folks. West Virginians are also largely against a federal takeover of our elections. 73% of those polled disagree with the statement that the federal government should dictate West Virginia's voting laws. So there's a whole lot at stake here politically for a whole lot of people. You know, but in the context of what's going on, this very one bit of conversation that we're having, what sticks out to you? What sticks out to you? The pressure that's on Joe Manchin to renege on his pledge to protect the filibuster. And the second part of that is, in West Virginia, the filibuster is more popular than is Joe Manchin. In other words, Joe took an oath. He promised to represent the people of West Virginia. He didn't promise to bow at the knees of all of the people that have all this dark money that are, as we just told you, they're coming after him. They're making all kinds of offers. They're also making all kinds of threats. But Joe Biden, when he ran, and Joe Manchin, when he runs, he never once said, if the heat gets too high, I may have to change the way that I want to vote for my West Virginia voters. My constituents are really important to me and will determine what and how I vote on everything unless the big powerful money brokers come after me and make it unbearable. Then I may have to rethink that. That's, that's the philosophy that's being adopted by more and more people on Capitol Hill. i got to be honest, we need to pray that Joe Manchin won't go that way. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> gas prices, I'm talking about natural gas prices, have surged by more than 25% energized by soaring demand before the Northern Hemisphere winter comes up. We're talking about in Europe right now. Europe's reference Dutch TTF gas price jumped to 145.19 euros per megawatt hour. UK prices soared to 347.27 pence per megawatt hour. The two markets have already rocketed in early deals to record peaks at 162 euros and 407 pence respectively. It's panic and fear. Winter just around the corner. Runaway gas prices coupled with oil this week struck multi-year highs have fueled global concern over spiking inflation. There's the I word again. Gas demand is also heightened in Asia, particularly in China. Natural gas prices have climbed to new peaks as insufficient levels of inventories ahead of the winter season drive concerns for a spike in the I-word, inflation, and energy prices for consumers. These supply constraints could translate into higher cost of fuel moving into the winter months, a prospect which could further slow down economic recovery, worsen moods across markets. Europe's energy crisis has also been exacerbated by a a lack of wind for turbine sites. 
you know, that clean energy source, turbines. Couple that with ongoing nuclear outages, which is nuclear energy is the only 100% clean energy source on Earth that we're not building any more nuclear refineries. Britain is particularly exposed to Europe's ongoing energy crisis because of its reliance on natural gas to generate electricity. So in the context of um, the United States, and that's really all that matters to us, guess who we used to sell a bunch of natural gas to? A bunch of it, a bunch of it, a whole bunch of it. Our buddies and our friends in Northern and Western Europe. But a lot of that no longer happens. Why is that? We're turning away from carbon energy development in our country. And it's happened with all speed under Joe Biden's leadership. He's anti-carbon energy. Anti. Anything to do with carbon and energy, he's against it. But it's absolutely insane for any leader to come up with a plan to replace something that's already in place, especially across the spectrum of 337 million Americans and thousands of businesses and economic sectors in our society that dominate at every level of economics and want to do away with that and those overnight without having something up and running with which to replace carbon energy production. I think more Americans would be all in for this electric stuff, battery-powered, solar-powered, nuclear-powered, if the infrastructure had been developed or even was in planning stages and we could just phase into it. No, no, no. That's not what the climate freaks led by Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, John Kerry, and every other hardcore far-left political power junkie in government. They want to turn the spigot off for carbon energy. Everyone, every name I just mentioned are filthy rich, by the way. They cannot relate at all to how this will impact average Americans, middle income, even next level up economy. This, just one little example, and we'll move on. You know this electric car thing? Oh, my, it's a great idea. I've even thought about it. But do you know what? I live in a a, a fairly new, not fairly, probably less than six or seven-year-old nice development in South Shreveport, which means all new infrastructure, electric communications, telecommunications, telephone, internet, what everything. Everything is the latest, greatest stuff. And part of that includes an electric grid. You got to have enough power, enough electric power, to um, to drive all of the demand in each of these new developments that are created, and that means putting in the right amount of infrastructure. Do you know that right now there is no infrastructure in the private sector? I'm talking about people that live in homes sufficient to service electric cars. I don't have the exact numbers of the de- the, the watt demand uh, the demand and wattage for an electric car, but a charging station 
to charge cars, which obviously if you have an electric car, you got to overnight when you're at home in the garage or somewhere in your property, you got to have a way to charge your car. And what they want is it not to be one car that's electric energy, battery powered. They want every car to be that way. This subdivision that I'm telling you about that we're in, there are about 100 homes here now. There's not enough electric power to handle that. Even one car per home. Well, all that means, Dan, is you just, you take, you unplug the the big line at the front of the neighborhood and you put in a bigger line from a power source and everything will be okay. No, no, no. The infrastructure in each of the homes has to be completely redone. You put that in the context of 337 million Americans and say just half of us can ever go and do that. Can you imagine? You're talking about completely reconstituting the electric grid from one side of the nation to the other just to support that. Secondly, have you ever seen the environmental horror on the side of where they go to get the elements out of the ground to create batteries for battery-powered cars? It devastates the environment of an entire area, not just where they dig these massive pits. And when I say massive, I'm talking about thousands of feet deep. They strip the metal in big circles going down into the earth, just digging more, digging more. That land is ruined forever environmentally. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about how do you dispose of the turbine the turbine wings are um, on the big turbine spinner thing up in the air. How do you dispose of those? They don't last forever. You can't cut them up. You can't bury them because they're polluters. You can't get rid of them. You can't take them to a landfill. What do you do with them? We have hundreds of thousands of those across the United States and even more around the world. Their shelf life, they say, is 10 years, and then they have to be done away with and 100% replaced. People don't think about that, and they certainly don't want to tell us about that. We're in right now, folks. Last October, this nation was energy independent, 100% energy independent, and it was based upon the policies that had been put in place, executed to the T during the Trump administration, and all of a sudden, our energy cost went way, 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 way down. We were energy dependent. We hadn't bought a drop of oil from Russia in decades. Joe Biden comes in, he he starts pulling the plug on all of it, canceling federal leases, for energy production, shut down the XL pipeline, stops giving permits for new exploration, and everybody pulled in their horns. And so as our production went down, our reliance on foreign energy sources, once again, just like it was during the Bush administration, both eight years of those and eight years of the Obama administration, we become independent in just three and three quarters years during the Trump administration, and overnight, Joe Biden puts us back in the pocket, going and begging 
OPEC, and now Vladimir Putin for oil. Yeah, we're averaging since Joe came into power 8 million barrels a month. We buy, the United States buys from Vladimir Putin in Russia. Make you feel warm and fuzzy? Let's move on. What about what about what are Democrats doing regarding voter registration? Think about it. Have we told you watch the voter registration through this coming year? Watch the way it goes before the 2022 election because Democrats are going crazy. You know why they're going crazy? Because Democrats, registered Democrats across the nation are fleeing their party. In Florida, where the Democrats have had and registered voters a massive majority for years and years and years, they are now only leading Republicans in voter registration by just 24,000. That's come down from 100,000 in just January. When Obama ran for office his first term in 08, the state had over 700,000 more registered Democrats. In Pennsylvania, Democrats are also dropping registered voters. In just two years, Republicans have gained nearly a quarter of a million votes. Democrats currently lead Republicans there by 632,000. That's down from 813, 885,000 two years ago. North Carolina, Democrats' advantage dropped 140,000 since October. There are fewer active registered Democrats in North Carolina now than there were six years ago. A Democrat National Committee member in Florida, Thomas Kennedy, he said the trend is, quote, very concerning. (laughs) Obviously, he said, there are alarm bells ringing. I think the party and different groups are taking notice and trying to fill in the gaps. Yeah, they're trying to fill in the gaps with a bunch of illegal aliens that they know they're going to give them the right to vote if they can hang on and get this unfettered power to do so wave a magic wand and say, you are an American citizen and you have the right to register to vote. We're going to register you to vote for you. And of course, you're going to pull the Democrat lever or pull or push the Democrat button no matter what election we're talking about. Kennedy, this DNC guy said, I do think Republicans have put a lot of emphasis on voter registration. For Democrats, there hasn't been a robust voter registration operation like there needs to be in Florida since Obama. There's this emphasis on third-party groups and nonprofits filling in that gap. I think it's safe to say that Florida Democrats have tried to uh, shore up their voter registration. Remember, Former gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum, who lost to Ron DeSantis in 2018, he put himself in charge of increasing Democrat registrations, but his plans imploded. And of course, what happened was, right after he lost to DeSantis, Gillum, who was then the mayor of Tallahassee, was found in Miami with a male sex worker, baggies that the cops suspected contained crystal meth, and the third man. That's just a little slimy. And of course, that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths across the state of Florida, and that gave Republicans a shot there. So, it's happening. 
it's happening. What else is happening? What about our buddy, Hunter Biden? What's going with old Hunter? What's he up to? Well, I know you know he's selling art. Um, is he an artist? No. Is he selling art? Yes. Why would anybody buy a piece of art from Hunter Biden? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> and so that is a big question that a lot of people are questioning why and doesn't this create a problem for this president? I mean, a little nepotism there, would you think? A little quid pro quo in the making, would you think? And so it came up yesterday in these White House briefings, and Jen Psaki tried to nip it in the bud. And of course, Peter Ducey of Fox News, he's always on the front row, and Jen always goes to him, and they have a relationship that is somewhat contentious but she at least lets him ask his questions and she gives her politically expedient answers. But yesterday, yesterday, other reporters in the room just wouldn't let it go. What's up with President Biden and Hunter Biden? Thanks, Jen. Uh, A week ago, the National School Boards Association wrote to the president to say that their teachers feel like some parents protesting recently could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. And then the attorney general put the FBI on the case. So does the administration agree that parents upset about their kids' curriculums could be considered domestic terrorists? You know what? That's not the soundbite that we were looking for. Um, that was important. We were going to do that if we got to it. The one that we were talking about is the ethics and the lack of ethics on this Hunter Biden art sale as it pertains to President Biden. The ambassador designate to India mm-hmm. was seen reportedly at an event in Los Angeles last week, uh, an art gallery event uh, that featured the artwork of the president's son Hunter. Um, the ethicists who have pointed to this arrangement have expressed concern that the president's son selling art could potentially uh, put the president in a situation where those who seek jobs either in this administration or favors from this administration uh, and could put this White House in an awkward position. Should, first of all, what is the White House's response to the fact that an ambassador nominee was at this event? And secondly, should we expect to see more people who seek jobs in this administration attending events like this in the future? Well, to be clear, we've spoken to the arrangement that is run by the gallerist uh, and Hunter Biden's uh, representatives that the White House provided suggestions for. I'd refer you to the gallerist for questions about uh, the event um, and and, and, as well as the uh, representatives of uh, Mr. Garcetti in terms of his attendance. Just to follow up, this is exactly what ethicists said they were worried about. What is specifically? The fact that uh, the, the president that he son, reportedly attended an event. Well, the president's son would be selling artwork and then meeting potentially with people who would seek to buy it. If you have attendees at that event who might be seeking either jobs in this administration or favors from this administration, isn't it an awkward situation to put the president in? Again, the gallerist has spoken to, we've spoken to the specifics what the gallerist has agreed to and what uh, per, what recommendations were made. I've done that several times. I don't have additional details for it from here. I point you to them. Go ahead. So, so does this White House not have any concerns about uh, the photos that have emerged of showing Hunter Biden at that gallery alongside prospective buyers? I point you to the gallerist on uh, specifics of the restrictions that were put in place. Great. But what about the position of this White House? This is a president who ran on being transparent and you You've got 
and we were very transparent about what recommendations were made to the gallerist, uh, and I would again point to them or the many times I've spoken about that from here. i, I got to be honest with you. That's the first time in my life I've heard the term used, gallerist, even one time. But Saki in that soundbite, she used that term at least five or six or seven times. I refer you to the gallerist. We refer you to the gallerist. We reached out to the gallerist and we told them what our expectations are. And then that last reporter, she just got Saki, I mean, all bent out of shape when she said, yeah, you told us that. We get that. We can reach out to the gallerist. But how does this president feel about the ethics problem this whole thing is causing for him and the White House? And of course, Saki and her wisdom I refer you to the gallerist, and we're not going to do any more discussing about this in this press briefing. She didn't say that, but finally she basically let it be known. That's all. We're not going to do this anymore. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did, but now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa Box, only at Taco Bell. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200 mile per hour cordless sleep blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. <laughs> what are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle. Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. So you get this one for free. The U.S. State Department yesterday was asked, came out and said this, it is unaware of the American's representative, Mark Wayne Mullen, who's a Republican from Oklahoma, he said that Americans died while trying to get out of Afghanistan that included a three-year-old girl, the two-year-old boy, and the boy's mother. 
So Mullen said that over the weekend on a news show, and he said the deaths belong and the responsibility to Joe Biden's U.S. withdrawal, describing it as a fatally flawed experiment, even by members of his own party. Mullen has helped his team on the ground in Afghanistan evacuate a bunch of U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents, and he stressed that our State Department is aware of the identities of those dead people, but refuses to even tell them, tell the American public about them. Nevertheless, the State Department spokesperson said via email, while we are not aware of a case fitting Representative Mullen's description described in the article, our hearts are with all families who have suffered or lost a loved one due to events in Afghanistan. That State Department spokesperson emphasized that while state remains committed to evacuating those people and at-risk Afghans bringing American citizens home is the Biden administration's top priority. Yeah, I believe that. In response to the department's statement, Representative Mullen on Tuesday said that their words don't match their actions on the ground. Their words are cheap and actions are loud, he said. Nothing the State Department has done to date shows American citizens have been a priority, much less those Afghan citizens that worked with us. Ask whether or not the State Department is aware of any non-military American citizens who died or were killed in Afghanistan after it ordered the non-combatant evacuation operation. The spokesperson wouldn't answer. Representative Mullen on Saturday said the department refused to allow the three-year-old girl into the Kabul airport when the military was still evacuating Americans before President Biden pulled him out. While our first priority is always U.S. citizens, we will continue to communicate with these Afghani residents that are considered to be LPRs and seek to assist wherever possible, the spokesperson said. Our effort to ensure safe passage for those who want doesn't end on any particular date. According to the congressman, the Biden administration blocked his team from evacuating the three-year-old girl overland across Afghanistan's border with Tajikistan because they wouldn't help us get her out. She passed away from septus, the Oklahoma Republican said Saturday. Mullen also accused the State Department of not reporting the death of a two-year-old boy and his mother, who are or were both Americans. Wow, we're out of time. I hate it when that happens. But what it means, folks, is we had a full day with a lot of information. We shared a lot of ideas and thoughts, and I got to tell you, I'm glad we're here together with you every day, Monday through Friday, and I want you back tomorrow. Special guest I told you about, you'll find out in the morning. Till then, you guys have a great day. We'll see you then. <laughs>